Hey, Ryan. Hello, hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm really well. I got my AirPods finally connected, so I'm feeling technically centered, technologically centered, but I'm good. How are you? Are you spiritually centered? Are you are you world centered? Well, we'd need more than an hour to unpack all of that, but yeah, I'm good. Then. I'm good. Thank you for being my co-host today. Yeah, where's Jason today? Just being Jason, world traveler again, maybe? <laughs> Tracy, happy Friday. That is success to, to make it to Friday, right? Hey, Kyle. Hey, Joe. Well, I love that everybody is here with us today. Yes, perspective and breathing. Absolutely. I love that, James. Well, let's bring Sean and Mike on. I cannot wait to chat with these guys. Um, and some of you, so Sean, I'm going to start with you and invite you, and I'm going to find Mike here in just a second. I'm not used to playing producer, Ryan. How am I doing? Good, good. <laughs> this is, like you said, this is a safe space. Sometimes things don't go perfect, but nothing ever goes perfect. So I think that's okay, too. Yeah. And we're going to bring Mike on in a second. It'll take I, them. Yeah, no worries. I just want to recognize James' comment about the, like, the new normal. I say we're non-COVID sick, sick. Yes. Maybe that will change in the future. I felt I did feel compelled to say that. And I think I've heard other people say we had a cold, just not COVID. But Right. Hey, Listen. Sean. Hey, everybody. Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> so we sit here. Mike and I are so terrified of the IT stuff. We've sat here. And this is the most stressful part of our week. So now we're on. <laughs> um, we're good. We're good. Just getting connected. Correct. Correct. And, and you're apart. I'm used to seeing both of you in one screen. Oh shoot! Yeah, we um. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's uh, we shock people on Zoom calls because it's usually Mike and I's head together, and um, yeah, so we uh, Mike had uh, kid duty this morning, so we uh, we uh, divided and conquered here. That's why he said ish. I saw that he was green ish. <laughs> hey, Mike. <laughs> Those dang kids make it ish. Mm -hmm. Green ish. <laughs> ish. Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Just being honest. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you for being on with us, you guys. Thanks. For oh, it's our me. pleasure. When anytime you're listening to an introduction and uh, you know Ryan's talking about empathy, this is a different type of platform. So we're we're thrilled that yeah. people that that people that are bringing light, um, we're all in. We want to stand with those people. So we're honored to be here. Yeah, absolutely. What a what a community, right? Look at these folks, these fine human beings that gather with us every single week to close out their week, to get some good Friday feels, you know, to head into the weekend, right? Uh, mm -hmm. when, I, when I tell people about this space, it is just that. I think, I think we've undervalued the power of community for a long time. And I think when pandemic crap, you know, sort of drove us into our homes, into our communities, it affected the small businesses around us. I think we I don't know. I think we got a new notion of what it is to be a community and, and we're doing it here like this in a virtual way. But I, I feel that in my own space and community, that's for sure. Absolutely. And if you like if you go all the way back to just even our simple tribal biology, self-determination theory says that we only need three things to be happy. One is to be authentic in your life. The second is to be competent at what you do. And the third is to be connected to others. Mm. Not money. It's not anything else. It's those three things. And taking that connection away, it's it's hard on people. So so if you can bring it back and you have 1,500 people here, um, yeah. you know, that's really important. Like I said, all the way down to our DNA. Here's a, and that's, 
Oh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just saying that, that's never anything that people ask, you know, on resumes or when you're hiring. Do, is is having meaningful relationships with people that you work with important? No one thinks about that, but it is. Like Sean just said, that's like a third of that recipe of truly finding fulfillment in what you do every day. And I was actually going to ask the group, do we feel like, are they weighted equally? Is it equal thirds across those three things? That, that might be a tough question to answer, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know that, yeah, yeah, I know. I know that we often overlook a, a one or two of those things in pursuit of other things to find happiness. And oftentimes mm -hmm. that thing that we thought was going to bring us happiness came at the expense of one of these things. And, and when we get there, when we arrive at the <clears throat> house or the Ferrari or whatever, it's a little hollow. Like if you don't roll with those three things. Okay, Sean, will uh, you, the Brooke wants them repeated. Will you repeat them again? That's so good. Sure. Is a um, meaningful meaningful relationships with others, so connectedness, um, being good at what you do, competent, and then uh, being authentic in who you are. Um, so, those are the three that people are saying. And and I think you know, Sean and I, we're looking at it all the time. <clears throat> As leaders, your enthusiasm is going to far outweigh your aptitude. And I think a lot of the scaling gets shifted towards the competency part and a lot of people are really good really talented really skillful but um if you're not feeling like you can be yourself i mean we spent all last year talking about that when it when the diversity conversations took off you know mm -hmm. as a female executive do you feel comfortable walking in boardrooms can you be yourself because if you can't the prop likelihood of you being able to express your fullest creativity ideas collaboration probably isn't there and so that same thing shifts to the to meaningful relationships part um, we got to be connected to each other to be successful. And trust. Oh, my gosh. Trust is such a huge part of that. Being connected to each other and being able to show up fully and authentically, that requires trust, but it builds trust. And when you have trust, oh, my God, you can do incredible things. Yeah. yeah. Trust your team mem members, your teammates. Right. Um, it's the number one. It's a number one conduit of speed in a business. Right. And make no mistake, speed is the new currency of business in this country. Yes. The business used to be a, the average age of business in this country used to be 61 years. It's 18 now. Mm -hmm. and, and people are like, well, how do you do that? Your, your words have to parallel your actions. Right. So many of us are hearing this and experiencing this. Unless they're aligned, we're not going to get there. And you slow your business down every single time those two things don't align. Yeah. Yeah. I love, let's let's do a better introduction for people who don't know Sean and Mike yet. I love what you guys talk about and the way you talk about it. I love the perspective you bring. And it's incredible to me. Well, it's not surprising at all. You're, you're athletes. And so it's not, it's not surprising at all that you have this perspective. I think it's perspective we all need when we think about creating teams, driving performance, building culture athletes know how to do this. Uh, so anyway, tell me about you guys. I love hearing your stories. Tell me what you, how, where you both grew up, what you, sports you played, what you love to do, and, and kind of how that brought you to NASCAR today. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, as you, behind me here is a, uh, when App State beat Michigan, I'm an App State football um, graduate. Uh, tore my ACL twice in college. Wanted to keep playing football. That didn't happen, and it landed me in uh, an opportunity to try out for a race team. Uh, Sean will tell you the same thing here in a second. Didn't know anything really about it. Didn't grow up watching racing. 
was not in my plans. Um, got invited to a tryout. Thought I would do it for maybe five years, and that was about 17 years ago. And um, yeah, we we are both athletes. I football background. He's hockey. Um, we started as developmental guys, kind of learning the positions, learning the industry, worked up to where we were primary pit crew guys, and then um, had an opportunity to coach. And I'll let Sean kind of talk about that. But one of the things was football didn't work out for me. Uh, so we're athletes, yes, but we're kind of second. We got a second life in racing. Um, mm -hmm. And so many times, I think we let our failures define us. Um, we fail. I failed at football. But if I thought that I personally was a failure, I would have never embraced this opportunity to transition into something else. And I'm so thankful that um, racing, I think, is a much better career than banging yourself. <laughs> you get paid a lot more, but... I mean, those guys are, you know, I've seen them, man. They're hobbled up, every bone's broken. Um, and we've just laughed and had fun, and it's been amazing. Never would have, like I said, never would have thought I would have been here in, in racing, but it's been uh, it's been phenomenal. Yeah, and my story's similar to Mike. Um, I'm from the far west in Canada, as you can go, Vancouver Island, British Columbia. Uh, came to the United States on a hockey scholarship. Uh, played four years at Dartmouth College, and... Um, was struck there, uh, you know, my dad's a mechanic, my mom's an esthetician, and um, the most lasting impression I had from Dartmouth was uh, these kids with tremendous wealth that were inherently unhappy. And, you know, I made a decision when I was at Dartmouth that I would chase joy. So instead of going to Wall Street, I went to the Texas Hockey League for 350 bucks a week, uh, started a, uh, you know, a journey through the minor leagues, um, was uh, sent to Greensboro on assignment uh, from the Pittsburgh Penguins, I've um, gotten a huge opening night brawl and met a guy in the stands uh, from NASCAR. And uh, that was thought I'd do it for a year. And that was 20 years ago. So, um, again, not anything I ever thought would be my life's work. But, uh, you know, I'm 46 years old and don't feel like I've worked a day in my life. So blessed. So got in a huge opening night brawl and met a NASCAR guy in the stands. I feel like there's more of a story there. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so yes, I was coming to the aid of a teammate and it just kind of went sideways and, um, uh, as things do in hockey, <laughs> as they often do in hockey. And, um, yeah, this, this lady called her husband and I guess he liked the guys that fought a lot and she's like, wait till you get a load of this guy. And, um, so I met him and my dad has a garage on Vancouver Island. And, uh, he said, when the hockey player, when your dad comes down, we'll take you on a tour of the race shop. And this was back when mechanics pit the cars, um, which has changed considerably now. So we were touring around the race shop. Practice was going terrible. And um, the guy showing us around was like, hey, this is Sean. He plays hockey in Greensboro. And the crew chief was like, get the hockey player into practice. And I was like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm, you know, uh, and he was insistent. So I went and was as fast as the guy who'd done it for the last five years. And um, they asked if I wanted a job. And I thought they were kidding around and they weren't. And um, so it, that's how uh, I went down this road. I love that story. And he he's skipping over the fact that that was the longest uh, that was like a record breaking suspension. Uh, we won't get into the details of all how the suspension happened, but it was <laughs> not a record my parents are proud of. <laughs> <laughs> so you you're like a fighting hockey player. Well, they all fight, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a couple of concussions, a mouthful of fake teeth, and hands that barely work. But yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed the heck out of it. It was it was great. It was mm -hmm. great. Oh my gosh, Bryce loves that. <laughs> no good story starts with, so I was eating a salad. They start the way you always did. <laughs> uh, will you guys talk a little bit about how you recruit 
team members. I love your philosophy around finding good humans and, and the way you put them together and the way you train as a team. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, one of the things, Mike and I run the Department of Unrealistic Expectations at Chip Ganassi Racing. And, and for those of you that don't know, we are the picker department. And our job is to train five people to change four tires, put two cans of fuel in a race car in 12 seconds. Um, so when Mike and I were hired on to rebuild this program, they asked us to do it for basically half of what our competitors were doing. And we understood right then, like we weren't just going to out money uh, the teams that we were being asked to beat on pit road. And one thing that was clear to Mike and I right from the start was we had to weaponize our culture. Um, so we decided, okay, what, how are we going to do this? What, what, you know, tenements do we want to put in place that may allow us to be successful? Um, what the first one was, we would put more sweat on the floor than any team in NASCAR. And then the second thing was when we recruit, we will put nothing above being a world-class human being. And that's what we went after. And, uh, you know, for us, a world-class human being, uh, you know, we wanted to win with good people and good people to us are a good experience. And, and so we, um, we were very intentional about how we did that. We don't go and recruit the SEC or the big 10 or the PAC 12, um, anyone in the country is welcome to come to Chip Ganassi Racing uh, on Wednesday. And we ask you to show up at 8 a.m. If you show up at 7.30, you get a check mark and you move on. If you show up at 8, you're gone. Regardless of what you look like, mm. your athletic acumen, it's a non-negotiable. So then you're going to watch two and a half hours of practice. And you can imagine in a NASCAR practice, all the dirty wheels and greasy work that just isn't work that is fun to do. If you jump into that work unprompted, it speaks volumes about your character and you get a check mark and you move on. If you don't, you're gone. So now Wednesday for us is the hardest workout of the week. And when we go up to the gym, we don't ask you to lift the most weight or jump the highest. We want to see your intestinal fortitude. It's really, really difficult. And, uh, you know, we had a kid throw up in the middle of it one time, come back and finish. And he thought he was done. And we loved it because it just showed this grit that you're going to need mm -hmm. in race cars. So if you do that, you get a check mark. Now, imagine this, Jess, you're on campus for less than three hours. We have 26 alpha, alpha males and one alpha female, okay? Linebackers from the Steelers, the Washington football team, the Titans, All-American baseball players, United States Navy SEALs. You're wow. exhausted from the workout, and I'm just going to tap you and say, hey, break the group up for me. So basically, you have to get everyone's hands in the middle and come up with something that inspires them like that it shows how you handle pressure mm. if that goes well you get a check mark we send you to lunch with five of our team people they're going to vet you over the course of lunch if they like you you're going to sit back down with mike and i and we're going to ask you we have five pages of questions and, and it's not again where you went to school what was your gpa it's tell me something that you believe in that no one agrees with you on um <clears throat> tell me something you failed who's the, at. who's the best person um at the position that you want right now, what makes them good, what attributes or skills, what investment are you willing to take to get there? You know, just like, are they thinking about <clears throat> the long play here or is this just something for right now? Because it's gonna take six months to a year and a half to train and develop people. And we wanna know that they're gonna be there long enough to see it through. Yeah, and we want you know, we wanted to win with people with ownership mentality. You know, we'll crump up a ball of paper and throw it right in the middle of the door jam. And if that person, when they're, to sit down with Mike and I, grabs that and just throws it in the trash can. It, it says a lot about that person, right? Instead of being fooled, I went to school in the Ivy League. I saw kids 
drink their way through four years of school. I'm not fooled by that part. We want world-class human beings. And and sure. we felt like if we were intentional enough with the way that we go about it, um, we'll land them. And we are very, very proud of the 26 people we have on campus. They're the only picker that's ever won our sports version of the Walter Payton Award um, for giving back in the community. And it's just, if you spend 80 hours a week at anything, you want to do that with people that you enjoy to be around, people that bring energy. You know, there's a famous quote that even a donkey looks like a thoroughbred for the first interview. Right? We, it's two years of development. We need to know right away, do we have a donkey or do we have a thoroughbred? Oh, my gosh. I think that's interesting, though. Even like I, I reflect on the crumpled piece of paper, um, and that, that resonates with me um, deeply, where it's the, do you just take accountability and ownership? Because I can imagine there'd be an issue, and I do not know pit crew logistics or the science behind it. So excuse if the analogy doesn't play, but I mean, like, if there are lug nuts in that space and someone says, well, it's not my responsibility to pick them up. I mean, you're going to have somebody blow a knee out, fall down, get hurt. I mean, it's that idea of it's all of our responsibility to try to do the right thing. Right. But that, right. that notion of something is as, as innocuous as that has deep ripple effects it does. through the it culture does. of a team. It does. <clears throat> Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, we were at a, we were, we were at a Notre Dame uh, a few, well, I guess last month, and um, their kind of statement for the year is that everything you want in life is on the other side of heart. And I was like, that's so amazing, so powerful. But one of the things that we're talking about is, is what you're saying, Ryan, is about that ownership piece. And one of the questions I asked to the guys was, <clears throat> have you ever changed the oil in a rental car? And of course, everyone's like, no, why would you? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, exactly, <clears throat> because it's not yours. And so huh. like kind of what John said to that point of is like, if you're coming into our program and you're coming into Ganassi Racing, you're working with us on our on deck leadership, like we're going to own every piece of this and everybody, everything is everyone's responsibility, you know, and, and once you get that mindset, man, it just, you know, you just take off. I think we, you know, I this all this time Ryan and I have both spent in in HR and people leadership consulting all of that <clears throat> my time in this space started in talent acquisition recruiting literally organizations everything you just described which is vetting people who can do the job at hand organization like we trip over ourselves trying to figure out how to get to the qualities you just described we hire for hard skills we say we want to hire for soft skills we say we want to hire for character and like the guts of people, but we don't know how to do it. But like you're everything you just described is so basic, so simple. Get here early, show some heart, do stuff that does it's that's not on your list because it needs to be done. Be good people, give back to the community. <laughs> like, like we make it so hard when we try to do this, Ryan, inside companies. We think that you know, we come up with all the reasons we can't figure stuff out and we can't hire for soft skills and we can't you know, identify culture fit. I hate culture fit, but that's a, that's a different conversation. It people culture enhancers, people who are going to come in and add value to our culture. I prefer that. But we, I think we make it too hard. Everything you just just, just described is pretty pretty basic stuff. It is, Jess. And, and again, for us, we're going enthusiasm over aptitude ten out of ten times, and that's because Mike and I are betting on ourselves as leaders, as coaches. Right? And we need to do that in our businesses. And are you a good leader in your business? Then go for enthusiasm because you can take that person to 100%. And like you said, it doesn't matter if you're IT, if you're banking, if you're NASCAR pit crews. All this stuff boils down to inspiring human brilliance. 
right? And you do that when you have people that are coming through the door that are excited to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bryce's comment, it sounds like the model for elite military teams. What a great example. We, we hire <laughs> Mike, no? Yes? I mean, I don't know. I, I, some of that is, um, <clears throat> I, I always kind of like try to stay away from that because I mean, that's life or death. We're, yeah. we're changing, we're changing, we're putting gas in race cars, we're changing tires, we're not saving the world. Um, for us, it's, it's trying to have purpose and perspective in that um, we're, we're just fortunate to be able to do what we do. So let's not complain about it. Don't, yeah. you know, kind of like what Ryan was saying. I mean, we're, we're in like an upper percentile of people, like the problems that we have, you know, when we go and serve at an orphanage and you see like some of the struggles that some mm -hmm. of these young kids have, or when we're delivering meals to senior citizens, um, it helps just bring the perspective of like how grateful we really could be and should be each day. Yeah. That, that gratitude, I think is a humongous piece of culture though. Um, not to be understated that humility and gratitude, I can see just with you two, the way that you talk about the work that you do and, and no, I would agree that maybe you're not saving the world, but I mean, you are making the world a better place. There's a lot of amazing, you know, NASCAR fans that find a lot of joy in the work that you all do. But I think the, the, just the, I'm not self-absorbed component of who you two are is such a huge component of that leadership, that humility just speaks volumes. And Ryan, you know, to, to, to get that gratitude piece, that, that starts with perspective, right? So like we knew our guys make a half of what a lot of other people make. So we, but they still make really great money. So what we did was we got them out to the, you know, the Barium Springs Orphanage and the Christian Mission and Meals on Wheels, which you want to see something unbelievable? Take a NASCAR team to do Meals on Wheels. We get speeding tickets every time we do it. So guys think it's like a cannonball run. So, but the thing is, is once you get that perspective piece, when you're taking a tray of food up to someone and that's going to be their meals for the next two days, it's really hard to complain about making six figures. Yeah. Right. So, but it's, it's getting that perspective. And a lot of us have lost the perspective. It's we're in the flywheel. We're, you know, we're in this meeting and this board meeting and, and this executive lunch and this, and we never, we never stop to realize, wow, mate, maybe I have it better than I thought, you know? Go ahead, Ryan. No, I was just going to say that, that what makes people happy and it's, not the pursuit of happiness, right? And maybe it's the gratitude and, and realization that you're existing within happiness, but it's our, our failure to recognize it is probably what causes so much angst. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what's crazy is you can't be, you know, gratitude has such an enormous impact on your psyche. Like you can't be grateful and fearful at the same time. Hmm. You can't be grateful right. and angry at the same time, right? Like if you, if you spent the next week just going to bed and the last thing you did before bed was write two things down that you're grateful for. It's transformative. It is. But we you know we're we're tired. We want to watch one more TV show or you know it's just not I'm telling you. You know gratitude is is such a huge change agent. Let's uh let's make that pact on this call. So this call happens next week same time same place. Everybody on the call, I'd be really interested if you all feel free you don't have to vocalize it on the chat, but I'll commit to doing that between now and the next call two things that I'm grateful for before I go to bed. I'm really excited to give that a shot. And I think if everybody on the call, you have to commit to doing it though. Um, but it'd be interesting to see green, yellow, red next week, how it makes people feel. So I'll, yeah. I'll commit to doing that. That's a great idea. Awesome, man. I love it. 
I have to say that I'm not good at like doing gratitude. I, I love that practice. I absolutely, I'm not good at making it a practice. I don't keep a gratitude journal, but I do know one thing about myself when I get frustrated, tired, hit a wall, I get hung up on my own shit. Life doesn't, nothing's click, you know, my, my way of sort of getting out of the, out of a funk is to help somebody else take the focus off myself and my own petty shit for just a second and literally go help somebody else. Um, it is such a quick snap, like just re-snapping of reality. And it just, it gets your brain off of like whatever it is that you're, I, you know, you're rotating on or whatever. Um, and so I guess that's maybe a little bit of a gratitude exercise because I'm, I find it, um, not refreshing. That's a weird way. Somebody else's problems are more refreshing than mine. It's more, I do find it refreshing and fulfilling to show impact and to help somebody else. And then I can look back at my own stuff and go, oh, this isn't actually that bad. You know, Absolutely. I can probably solve this. Absolutely. What are some of the challenges that you see new, new pit crew members face? Like what are the, is there a, a type of problem that they face? Is it the, the being able to do the work? Is it the grind of the work? Is it staying like mentally tactful and like in, invested or engaged? Uh, I would say the biggest thing is comparison. And I know that's, that's universal. I mean, that's across a lot of spectrums. <clears throat> it's coming in. <clears throat> a lot of people are high performers in baseball, football, military, and then they come in here. And but then they have to go to the bottom, right? Because these everyone else has already kind of worked through the developing stages to get to where they are now, you know, the experts on the pit crew world. And so those other skills don't always transfer. And it's just hard for a lot of people to say, you know, man, I was flying on, you know, the Steelers team plane. And now I have to start over with these young kids and drive in the back of a van 15 hours to a racetrack in Iowa. <laughs> this is BS, you know, <laughs> so, um, but we, we, it's important for us to say, Hey, you can't skip the steps. No, that's like no shortcuts to getting to excellence. Right. And so, um, yeah. but they see the other elite people. And since they've been elite, it's just, sometimes it's, it's hard for them to not to block that out. And, and they see the other people. We all, we all have this infatuation with everyone else's highlight reel and we don't look at their documentaries. We don't see what they deal with at home. We don't see how long it took them, you know, to get to that point. And so uh, I would say comparison is the hardest thing. That's, um, that's, yeah, again, that, that hits deep with me too, that, that self-shaming activity of, wow, why am I not better at this? Like, why am I not like that person? I, you know, and that, I guess I would, I can, I can definitely empathize with your, your team. They are used to getting gold medals. And when you're on a team where there's just no medals, like it's a, that could be, I could understand that there'd be like some identity issues, like who am I, what am I good at anymore? Um, and I like the highlight reel thing too. I think I do that as a parent, you look through and see all these great pictures of family, these family portraits that happened. And I have family portraits. No one sees the shitty meltdown that happened the two and a half hours before <laughs> as you're trying to get shoes on the baby. But yeah, just what were you gonna I say? I have no idea. <laughs> I actually, when I do share stuff about my kids, I truly, truly, because I, I feel like I share a lot of my personal life um, as far as my, my kids go and, you know, how we hang and how we roll as a tribe. I really do try to share realistic 
views of life. The the funny stuff, the stuff you can't even make up, the, you know, mostly because I want to remember it. <laughs> Those are the memories that kind of stick with you. But I hate that. I hate that everybody just gets sort of like the, the glossy, you know, Instagram worthy view of life that's totally not realistic. I don't know. I, I try to. Uh, well, I try and, to and, it, and it's comparing, you know, and oftentimes it's comparing your start to their their finish. Right. Yeah. Ryan, you got a drum set behind you. You didn't you didn't pick up the sticks and think you're gonna be Neil Pert from Rush, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, he does. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I did. If you do that, you're in big trouble. Because I know, was I was in big trouble, but no, yeah. I didn't. So I'm just saying, like they, we struggle with that. We also struggle. Um our season starts on Valentine's Day and ends a week before Thanksgiving. You know, everyone talks about how long the baseball season is. We're racing three weeks before pitchers and catchers report. And the World Series is awarded when we have two weeks left. So we have a really long season. And it's how do you keep people motivated for that long of a season? You know, and one thing yeah. Mike and I are very intentional about is uh, something we call it like your arrival mindset. You know, we're in our program, we're really big on thoughts or things. And, and more, more so that the view that you adopt for yourself profoundly affects the way that you live your life. And... Um, you know, and, and we prove it to him. Like, if, have you, Jess, have you, either you or Ryan bought a car in the last year? Two years ago. Okay, what was it? Volkswagen. Tiguan. What color? Gray. What, what, what model? Tiguan. Tiguan. Okay, so when you decided to get a Volkswagen Tiguan, we go through the car buying experience. You, you zero in on that. You go to the lot. You drive it off. What happens that first week? You start seeing other gray Volkswagen. Oh, they're, they're everywhere. Yeah. Right. Ryan's I've never smiling. Seen and one being, before you, in my life. And now they're everyone, everywhere. That happens to everyone, right? Yeah. So if your brain works like that for something as simple as a car buying experience, what do you think you're doing to yourself when you put your hand on the door leading into work on Monday and say, work's going to suck? Or we have too much things to do today. Or I don't like this person on my team. Right. Thoughts are things. We sabotage ourselves before we even get on the campus. So, Again, Mike and I are really big on your arrival mindset. We want the very best version of you. We want the version that's the hardest working, that's the best teammate, that's the most collaborative. Right? We're, we're human beings. We don't stay the same. We get better, we get worse. And that starts with a choice. And that choice starts the second you put your hand on the door. So we'll literally send athletes out of practice and be like, hey, your arrival mindset's off. We, let's change that and let's get back because we get you for three hours today. We need 100%. I love that. Yeah. Yes, Heather, I agree. Candid photos, so much better. I prefer outtakes to to, <laughs> to the stage stuff. And yeah, Steve, Steve's a runner, marathon training. Um, so you guys, uh, so you do all of this, everything you just described, and then you decided in the middle of, of a pandemic to publish a book. <laughs> and you have deck leadership as well. So that's your way of delivering these kind of messages and this kind of inspiration to organizations so they can internalize some of this for building. All of this translates to building high performing teams, period, in any environment. And I love that you're bringing these messages to Notre Dame, to organizations, to Avery Dennison, cats on here. Like, I love that you're spreading this message far and wide. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that work? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just, I guess I can say, and I was texting Hey Cat in the chat. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, uh, there was a couple things that were happening. One was we were, 
interacting with leaders and they're saying, oh my gosh, I wish I could get my team to operate like a pit crew. You know, you guys have both speed and quality, but you have quantity, like you have it over time. Um, and then we started seeing emergency workers reaching out to F1 teams to kind of get their processes more uh, efficient. And uh, I don't know, we were talking one day like, man, we should write a book. And so like, all right, let's Google how to write a book, you know, so we didn't know anything about it. So we uh, we started small, started humbly, and just kind of finally got it pulled together in tw early 2020, uh, not realizing that the world would just kind of shift uh, in a very, very big way. And obviously, DEC, the D is for diversity. It's um, our formula for speed is diversity, efficiency, culture, and kindness. And we just feel like those are pillars. Those are the pillars that helped us get, like Sean said, when we started coaching, we, we were pit crew performers, you know, pit crew athletes. We weren't pit crew coaches. We weren't managers. We weren't leaders. But we've learned that titles are for books, you know. It's, you know, preconceived notions are, are locks on the doors of wisdom. This is one of the quotes that we live by. And so for us to play small and to not, you know, take advantage of those opportunities, you know, we would have been missing out on everything that we've accomplished so far. So we just, we took the leap and started coaching. And we were able to get our pit crews in the top five and the best on pit road within about three years. And so in our book, we were just telling that story, what it went, you know, how it went from, you know, underperforming. And it wasn't that there was no talent, you know, but there was a lot of entitlement. There was a lot of uh, lack of self-awareness. There was a lot of selfishness. And so getting rid of that, um, rocking the boat, winning with good people, having that ownership mentality, we always come back to that. And we say all the time, especially now, it's more important than ever, that companies or teams don't adapt. There's nothing that Chip Ganassi Racing or the one or the 42 pit crew can do to adapt. People adapt. It's up to you, mm -hmm. right? It's up for us to have that ownership and saying, in order for Avery Dennison, in order for Lee Gen to adapt, I have to evolve. I have to grow. I have to go learn. I have to learn what I don't know. I have to admit that I need help sometimes. I have to admit that mental health mental uh, health is a real thing and sometimes I need a vacation. And yeah. so just trying to get people in the mindset of saying, all right, what does it look like to lead and, and be excellent <clears throat> in today's world? And so we, we started writing a few years ago and for whatever reason, uh, our message seems to hit now and we're, we're gonna try to share it as, to as many people as we can. Yeah, I think there's some inherent truth, just inherent truth in the message that again, you know, being in the corporate world for a while, um, sometimes I think we like to pretend that some of that other stuff doesn't matter because it's difficult. Like sometimes being kind isn't always easy to do and it's hard to define kindness, but it's really easy to define performance and number of widgets and whatever it may be. And so um, I really like that your, you know, your definition then for, for deck leadership, I think. So it's diversity. What was it? Efficiency, culture, Efficiency, kindness. culture, and kindness. Yep. That was our, that's our speed formula. And like Sean said, speed's the currency of business. So, you know, those, if the average age is, uh, is been cut into a third of, of the businesses in the mm -hmm. U S I mean, what's that tell you? It tells you that either you adapt or you figure out how to get fast or you die. And so, um, yeah. we want to bring as much life here as we can. Like yeah, that. You're right, Mike, the diversity, message got louder and stronger and bigger and 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 that's a great thing why not uh, I, I hate that it had to happen the way that it had to happen but everybody suddenly cared a whole lot more about diversity in 2020 
okay, fine, but what are organizations doing about it? A year later, I'm still finding that organizations are struggling to show proof, to show change and progress in a real, in a real way. What, what is the impact of those promises that you made last year, those diversity statements you put on your website, the diversity hiring goals you published? And by the way, you can't hire your way to diversity. This drives me nuts when we talk about creating diversity or hiring for diversity. Diversity exists. You don't create it. You don't fabricate it out of thin air. We are a diverse world and workforce diversity exists. There's representation. And then there's creating an environment where diversity can thrive. You don't make up diversity. Yes, you hire a diverse workforce and and find value in diverse contributions and perspectives and lived experiences but you have if you haven't done the work to create an environment where diversity can truly thrive when people can show up as their authentic selves when they feel a safe space to contribute and make mistakes and add value then you've done nothing to advance diversity um, and that's why i love all of the other principles that are part of your formula yeah. And I think, like I said, the diversity thing is complex. And I think a lot of times we get it wrong. You know, like there's black and white. We're talking about 14 grams of melanin in people's skin. Yeah. Right. It's like point zero 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 six four eight percent That's how different Mike and I are biologically. You know, wow. and, and so like when we talk about diversity for us, it's, it was never about color. We use a team acronym, diversity of thought diversity of experience, diversity of age, and diversity of motor. And that's the energy system you bring to the table. We yeah. want that. You know, I, I have a really good friend who works for a massive company in Silicon Valley. And their department was the picture of diversity, right? Split equal men, women, um, couple Asian, couple white, couple black, couple Indian, uh, couple LGBTQ, like gold stars across the board. Yeah. 15 of them were Hillary supporters. One was a Trump supporter. They ran the Trump supporter out of the building. Now, this has nothing to do with whether you believe in Donald Trump or not. This has everything to do with whether you respect that opinion or not. You know, mm -hmm. like Mike said, we weren't not pit crew coaches. We understood that the more diversity that we could bring to the table, the chance increased that someone at the table would have the key to unlock the answer that we didn't have. Right. That's why we wanted diversity, because we, were, we weren't smart enough to do it on our own. Right. So that's what we went after. And remember, like Mike and I have the most racially diverse pit crew in the history of NASCAR. And if we can make it work in NASCAR, yeah. there's not a Which lot of people. Which is not a diverse sport. Right. right. Um, and, uh, I've seen and your just, fans. What happens? There's not a lot of diversity in those fans. We're working on that. We're working on that. We're, we're, we're working on that. But but again, it's someone's got to start it somewhere. And, uh, yeah. and remember, we all came together based on one principle nothing about being a world-class human being and mm -hmm. when you took all the blinders off because thing is is this if we just go based on color right and you have your equal split all the different things and they were all sorority sisters or uh, fraternity brothers at stanford they probably yeah. all think the same have had the same experience so what are we talking about that's not diversity yeah yeah, you know? yeah i think that's um those are all really wise comments uh, that that diversity component too of cognitive diversity, socioeconomic diversity, race, creed, ethnicity, all of that is all, it's all valid, but it's, it's all of that. I mean, it can't just be one thing or another thing. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I put something on LinkedIn the other day where it was, 
you know, it's really convenient to have a group of people that agree with everything that you say. And sometimes we, we see that oftentimes even like in these channels, right? We're all very like-minded individuals. Um, but I noticed, at least for myself, that I felt like I was getting dumber. I, I couldn't articulate yeah. the way that I felt because everybody just agreed. I'd say a point and they'd say, wow, that's great. Yeah, I agree. And then I'd talk to somebody who challenged my thought and they said, why do you feel that way? And I, like, there were no words because I've never had to defend the way that I thought. And the moment that you have to defend the way that you think, you can really challenge, like, is this really how you think or you just feel this way? And so I, I really like that notion of the diversity of thought is what cultivates growth rather than the convenience of agreement. So I love that. Convenience of agreement. I love that. I've not heard that right. That one just kind of came out. So uh, <laughs> I'll write it down. Yeah. Thanks. There's a lot of human brilliance happening on this meetup. <laughs> Ryan, you talk just the way I talk about somebody said preach. I do preach about this DEI stuff. It drives me nuts. It's so much lip service and nobody actually does the work. So yes, I tend to preach a little bit. Uh, but Ryan, you talk about culture a little bit in the same way that you don't, you know, if you don't, um, if you don't take inten intentionally approach culture, it exists with or without your design or your intention. And so if you're not careful about creating it with intention and purpose, it's going to be something that you, you're you not accountable for, you don't own, and that likely doesn't produce much value. Yeah. You know, um, diversity is really interesting just in general in, in building culture because, you know, at, at LeapGen, we have this no assholes policy, right? Like, Love that. We do? We do. We try. I try sometimes. I'm still here. We, well, we're all. I think in, there's the level of grace, though, too. That I think we all can be assholes depending on what's happening in our lives. But um, when we interview folks, we try to talk about. We do look for culture ad and culture fit. And I say culture fit not because you need to act like we do, think like we do, have the same background, but we're looking for similar values, and that is humility, kindness, understanding that empathy drives a lot of the work that we do. Because from a diversity standpoint, when you have values, and I'm not talking like religious values or political values, but those core values of I respect other, you know, perceptions and opinions. I try to listen to learn. I try to be, you know, um, consciously curious. All of those things. Um, I think that's where I say that culture fit component is important. But I try to define it. That culture ad is now that you respect other folks. Let's live by those those words and try to bring everybody in. But cultures, designing culture can be very difficult. And if you're not thoughtful about it, culture is designed unintentionally. I mean, it just happens. It just like we, you know, you've plowed the field. If you don't tend to it, stuff still grows. Right. right. We've all seen that. It's did you plant the seeds or not? Um, yeah. Well, and, and, and Mike and I start off the first day of work every year. You know, whether that's January 1st, 3rd, whatever it is, we we start off with our expectations. You know, we sit down. It doesn't matter if you've been in our program seven years or one year. We are going to outline everything from what your Twitter avatar can and can't be to what color belt you can wear to the racetrack. Because if you don't set the expectation, yeah. how many times do we come off holidays and just roll into the next season of business? Yeah. Right? There's no expectation set. So if there are no expectations, how do you hold people to expectations? Yeah. How do people rise to expectations when they're when they don't know what that is? You know, it was interesting. You know, all those years ago when the Chicago Cubs, they hadn't won the World Series in 100 years, right? Theo Epstein comes in. First thing he does is he writes the Cubs way. And he was a baseball historian. It was a takeoff, the 1956 book, The Dodgers Way. 
And it was everything. It was 3,500 things that were going to happen in the organization, every way from how management dressed all the way down to what foot you would hit second base with if you hit a triple. So the Cubs go on, they win the World Series. Epstein's hailed as a genius. Reporters rush in. They're trying to get to him. They're like, how did you How did you do this? How did you figure out all these things that would make you successful? And he laughed at him. He's like, I don't even think half those things made us successful. He said the unintended consequence, well, though, was that it created intention within our organization. Mm. And that's that's the power. It's it, it's the intention part, right? Like Mike Mike talks about goals and standards all the time. You know, we how many times we sit in front of a, a, a CEO or somebody I'm like, hey, our goal is this, right? And then when the goal doesn't hit, there's no there's no repercussions. There's no <coughs> right. And Mike, if you want to go over the standards. Well, I mean, it, it, I think you already said it, but it's, you know, goals are what we want to accomplish, but standards are how we're going to accomplish them. And that goes back to expectations. It goes back to values. It goes back to, you know, our intention. Like Jess, you're saying uh, there's a lot of, there were a lot of diversity goals set last year, but there were, right. were not, I saw very few diversity standards being created that said, this is how this company is going to look, feel, be moving forward. And, and it's just, there's a difference there. Oh, I, I like that. I like that a lot. I, you know, it's um, it sounds like really then, you know, between dreams and goals, the only difference is whether you're awake or you're asleep. It doesn't have any impact on whether or not they come yeah. come to fruition. It's have you set standards to achieve them? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, every, I mean, how, everyone's got goals of looking like Brad Pitt or driving a, you know, a Maserati, you know, whatever, like everyone has goals, but our mm -hmm. standards are how standards drive human performance. They drive human behavior. Our standards are what's going to get us, you know, to the point where, like you said, culture is a seed. It takes time to develop. You have to water it. You have to No seed happens overnight. And so there's a time metric to that. There's a, a patience element to it, but then there's a consistency piece. Um, we've had some incredible conversations in the NASCAR community about people saying, oh my gosh, when it comes to culture and diversity, we've never even thought about this. We only think about race cars. How can we transform our team? How can we make changes? And then how are people going to know? <laughs> Wild man's here. And then how are we going to know? How are we going to know when we're successful? How are we going to know <laughs> what I, was that, Mike? I was just going to say, I, people are always, you know, curious, like, well, how will people know if we were serious or not, if, if we oh. accomplished our goal? And it's like, we won't know, but if we don't plant those seeds now, we'll never know. You know, we have to work and operate now. Yeah. See the boss man's here. With, uh, what, a brilliant, what a brilliant conversation, you guys. <laughs> you were MIA today, so we just proceeded without you. Dude, I've just been sitting back here listening to some music. Like nothing else matters, right? <laughs> you guys have been talking about humanity. You guys have been talking about inclusion. You've been talking about how to live. It's awesome. So uh, yeah, no, I've just been sitting back watching. It's Not powerful good. stuff, isn't it? I mean, it is powerful. And the comments, Ryan, and your like challenge that you put out to everyone, like, let's go. And I think those are the standards that you know Mike was just talking about too. It just. Are you creating behaviors and standards and expectations and discipline to achieve things? Because I, my my gut would tell me, Mike, that if you create standards to achieve something and you don't achieve it, you still feel pretty darn good about yourself. Whereas, Lord knows, I've achieved things and 
haven't really set standards. I kind of got there and you get the trophy, like one of those things on the wall back there and you kind of get, and you're like, okay, I guess I'll buy a frame now and move on with my life. I don't really, it hasn't changed anything, but. So, you know, we all, talk the... about, we all talk about intentionality and we all talk about the order in which we do things. And, you know, this is a totally weird question, but you wouldn't expect anything other than me from me, excuse me. There you are with your lighter again. <laughs> Don't rip on me, dude. Listen to some music. Got the lighter going. It's all good here. I've got Red Bull. Um, we're good. But uh, what are you, you guys were talking about how you got into this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like, what's one thing you regret that you haven't done? You guys sound like you live a perfect life. Like, um, yeah, go for it, Sean. I love this. I love this. This is yeah. why I came on just to get yeah, absolutely. One thing I regret we have. Um, like, what's one thing you guys want to do? What's one impact you want to make that you haven't? Well, I think that's. Yet? I think that was gonna be my answer, Jason. Is that, that we? I have not optimized. We play in front of eighty to one hundred sixty thousand people a weekend, right? We have um, most diverse picker in the history of NASCAR, but like Jess said, the stands still look like a snow globe. Right. Yeah. And I just I feel like you have this audience. We haven't moved the needle as much as, as possible. I, I that that plays in on my mind uh, quite often, to be honest with you, is like, how can we how can we do more? How can we be an example? How you know, because our guys are only forward facing to everyone with pit passes. So that's an, maybe an eighth of the people at the, at the track. And if they're lucky, they'll interact with a 20th of those people so yeah, it's, i mean we say it a lot that you're connected to them because you're in the same room but you're not building connection with them correct and i think that's what you're where you're going with that is you don't yeah. get to you know you're giving but you don't get back um, right which is sometimes hard right mike how about you i um <clears throat> my this is going to be a different answer but my evaluation and sean was was there for it he's he's seen it he's contributed to it but i'd say i mean this is year 16 for me i probably have only used my voice in like the last five mm. from the team owners the the uh <clears throat> gms crew chiefs they were always saying like hey dude when you speak people listen you have a lot of good insights like you have to speak up more like we need to hear more for you, you have great ideas all that and i just never i don't know i don't i was and I think it's why I'm so passionate about it when I speak to people now. Um, I was scared that people would think like, what's this black dude know about race cars? Um, what's this jock know about race cars? What like, you, I mean, I could, I didn't fit any of the molds of the people that were around me and I didn't feel comfortable expressing my opinions a lot of times. Uh, even if I knew I was right, I would just kind of stay to myself. I would watch things happen. I'm like, well, I could have told you that wasn't gonna work. Um, but for whatever reason, I just, I didn't speak up. and. Every time, like our presentation on 12 second culture, we always, I always end with <clears throat> to be 99% known is to be unknown. And uh, racing is tenths of seconds, mm. football's inches. And so many times, like a good quarter or a bad quarter comes down to pennies. Like the, the line between success and failure or brilliance and failure is razor, razor thin. And so, so many times that 1% kind of like <laughs> to what Jason is saying, like so many times we know the answer, the answer's in the room and it's connectedness. We're connected to it, but somebody like Mike doesn't say anything. Yeah. How did you, how did you find so, your, how did you find your courage to do that? 
Uh, people like Sean just kept harassing me. <laughs> <laughs> In the best way. It's, it's important. To, yeah, I mean, you just got to have people around you to say, like, hey, man, like, you know, keep, like, just keep asking you, like, hey, what's your opinion? What do you think? What do you think? And then um, it was, um, it was a, a, a Navy Ranger guy that I kind of ran across, and he was just saying, hey, look, man, um, today's leaders are tomorrow's CEOs and never pass on opportunities to be in leadership positions. Like, you're young, and you can fail now, but if you keep this attitude, by the time you're 50, you're going to take a good job. You're a smart guy, but you're going to make a mistake, and you won't have had the series of failures to learn to get you to the point where you know how to navigate things. And so he really challenged me. He said, the next time somebody asks you to do something where you have to lead, don't do what you always do and say no. Just say yeah. Before, like, don't even think about it. Just say yeah. And so I did. I joined the board, and in two years, I was the president. So, and we have a we have a great friend named Steve Farber who wrote a book called Greater Than Yourself, GTY, and it's Who's Your GTY Project? Think about it a lot. Um, and you know, for me personally, you know, those are people like Jess and Ryan. Um, they're they're better than me. And how do you keep building them to be better than you? And that's a great example of Sean building yeah. Mike to be better than him and t people on teams to be better than them. So, Mike, thank you for sharing that. I love the vulnerability. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that we all wish we probably got that courage earlier. Uh, but now that you've got the courage, how do you build people to be greater than you? Uh, that's your life mission right now. So thank yeah. you for being here. I really appreciate it. That's so powerful what you said, Mike. Every every organizational and, and people leader on here, imagine high-performing, high-value contributors in your own organization who aren't talking, who aren't sharing, who aren't contributing their ideas because they're not in a space, an environment. They haven't been given permission, courage, you know, a, a, a mic, you know, to, to talk, to share. That's a, that is inclusion. That is belonging. That's why you have to do the E and the I before you do the D, because it's like, then you're just going to have people like Mike sitting in your organization who could be helping you move the needle and innovate your business and win. But they're not saying it. That's, that is inclusion and belonging work. It's literally creating a space where Mike, people, the Mikes of the world say, you know what? I think I have some pretty good ideas here and you should probably listen to me. <laughs> Ah, oh, I love it. It's powerful Jason. stuff. It is powerful stuff. Yeah. Jason, thanks for popping in. I'm glad that you freed up for a bit to come and say hi. All good. It's been fun watching y'all. Uh, Sean and Mike, I already have a, another gig for you. Speaker requests are coming in. You guys are in <laughs> high demand. <laughs> well, we make people, we're in NASCAR, so we make people feel smart. So that's our talent. <laughs> 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 Good luck with the rest of the race season. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And how would, much appreciated. Before we log, how would we, so what's the next race? How would we, how would we see your teams in action? I don't watch a lot of sports clearly, but. It's this Sunday. We race uh, the Roval in Charlotte. Um, we, we, pickers for us are on the one in 42 cars and it's Chip Ganassi racing. The drivers are Kurt Busch, uh, which is Monster Energy car and Ross Chastain, which is uh, Clover Pfizer car. So, um, yeah, if they, uh, if they come in and advance position, that's great. If they come in and have a loose wheel, that's a bad day. And uh, 
you know, when we get to speak, that's what the difference is. It's just authentic, right? Like we can yeah. speak to a company on a Friday and if Fit Road goes bad Sunday, we're getting our heads ripped off on Monday. So we're just a little bit different than, than uh, some of the folks out there. So it's, uh, and like I said, we, these have been built from Mike and I failing in a lot of things. We're, we're in the failure business, right? 12, four tires in 12 seconds, we know failure's coming. And um, so we have a very unique relationship. No, I dig it. I dig it. Well, I mean, your jobs are, are hindered on failure. Those tires are intended to fail. Your job is to address those failures. I mean, I think that's amazing. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah.